We're going to be in uh, Judges chapter 14 tonight. Judges chapter 14. So let's open a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here t- tonight as believers. And, and Lord, we thank you for this place uh, that you provided for us. And Lord, we also uh, thank you for our copy of your word and how we can study it and hide it in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we just pray tonight that you would lead us and guide us through uh, first several verses of chapter 14 as we look at at Samson and uh, what's going on in his life and and how that applies to us and so Lord we just pray uh, for all those who came out and pray for those who couldn't make it out tonight pray that you would uh, remind them that you're there with them and and uh, just bless them as well we we just uh, bless our time together we ask this in Jesus name amen amen all right tonight we're starting off in uh, Judges 14 or continuing, I should say, in Judges 14, and we're looking at Samson. And uh, you ever notice, everywhere you go, you see signs. And a lot of them are uh, signs of warning, warning signs. There's signs along the roadway as you travel, you know, tells you there's some turns coming up or a dead end, things like that. And uh, if you ignore those signs, you'd be foolish to do that, I think. Um, it could lead to your injury or possibly, potentially, even your death. Uh, our, our bodies give us signs at times. Pain, tenderness, things like that, fatigue. And so all those are indicators that you should maybe go get things checked out. We also have signs that um, our mind picks up when there's a problem. We have, we have uh, feelings, sadness, feelings of um, hopelessness or... Uh, Anxiety, things like that, people have in their in their lives, and, and sometimes when you have unwarranted feelings like that, it could be a sign of something like depression. Uh, you ignore something like that, it could lead to something more serious mentally for you. Uh, but there's also spiritual signs. There's spiritual signs, and that's what we want to talk about tonight. There are spiritual signs. There are times when, you know, we all kind of uh, at times slack off. I guess is the word in our commitment to the Lord. You know, we um, maybe we don't make it out to church as regularly as we should, or we don't pray as often as we should, or uh, give back to the Lord like we should. Uh, sometimes there's even more serious things. We harbor bitterness or resentment in our hearts. We hold on to feelings and have uh, hard, hard feelings toward uh, toward others. And and then there's there's times even as believers that we. I, I call it flirt with sin. <laughs> we flirt with sin. We, we mess around in areas of the world or our lives that we have no business messing around with, as Christians especially. And when we ignore any of those signs, whether they're a sign on a road or mentally or physically or even a spiritual sign, um, when, when you ignore those signs of warning, um, a lot of times, especially in the spiritual area, you could almost be assured that you're headed for what I call a, a spiritual ship, a shipwreck, <laughs> spiritual shipwreck. Uh, and in our text tonight, we're going to see Samson, um, and he manifests all the signs of a man who is headed down a path of trouble, down a path of turmoil, uh, of conflict and tribulation in his life. And even when he sees certain signs, he ignores them. And he just continues 
to travel even further down this road that eventually would lead to his dishonor, his defeat, and ultimately his death. And so signs are given to us as warnings, and we shouldn't just ignore ignore them. And as Samson took these first steps down this road to uh, ruin, he had little or no idea, really, where his path would ultimately take him. And that's how sin is. We, we never, you know, when we, when, we, when we begin in sin and we flirt with sin, we never sit down and calculate, well, how, where is this going to end up? We usually don't. Um, and that's why we would continue down that road. And he could have had such a better ending, you might say, than he did. Because uh, he just avoided all these signs. And he could have avoided a lot of the problems that we're going to read about for the next couple chapters in his life if he just would have um, kind of paid attention. And so tonight we want, to, we want to look at these things. And I want us to notice that these signs that were presented for Samson um, that should have stopped him in his tracks and help him to kind of look deep within and say, okay, what am I doing here? You know, why am I, why am I behaving this way? Um, as we look at those signs, we can also have that same mentality. We should want to stop, and we should want to examine. And, and the Bible calls us to do just that, examine our hearts continuously as believers. And so a lot of times these signs will point to dangers that lie ahead. And by heeding the signs, that should have served to warn Samson. He saw them. He, I mean, obviously he was experiencing this, these things. But Samson, unlike um, Jephthah, remember Jephthah, we, we looked at him before, he began his life with, you know, kind of every advantage, you might say. His birth was, um, his, his, his birth, Samson's birth was announced by an angel. We saw that. Um, he was given a godly upbringing by his loving parents. Um, and from birth, God set Samson apart onto himself. He was to live under what we looked at last week, one of the most special of the Old Testament vows, and that is the, 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 the Nazarite vow. And it set you apart solely onto God. And we looked at that in Numbers chapter 6 last week. And yet, when you scan the story of Samson, it doesn't reveal one of... Um, Victory, it, it, it reveals something tragic. And you begin to wonder, what, what went wrong here? Even though the Lord blessed young Samson, we saw that in Judges 13, uh, this youth with every spiritual advantage going for him was a, ultimately a spiritual failure. And so just because you're born in a Christian family, just because you have a Christian upbringing, just because you have all these things to your advantage, doesn't mean that you're going to make the right choices when you need to make the right choices. And we see here clearly, as we're going to read, you'll notice a couple things. You'll see, first of all, that Samson's dominated by his sensual desires, just dominated by him. And that passion led Samson to desire a Philistine woman as his wife, which was strictly forbidden by God's law. We'll look at that. In addition to that, his passion led him to um, have relationships with prostitutes, <laughs> like the one with the woman Delilah who betrayed him for, his, uh, for some money. Not his money, but for some money. 
And second, Samson was motivated by pride. He was in, in passion for revenge. If, if you crossed him, he was going to get you. And that was kind of what his attitude was. He was really moved um, more by anger at personal affronts when um, faced with people like the Philistines. He just wanted to get back at them. He didn't care what they were doing to his people. They were suppressing his people. They were, they were uh, ruling his people. He didn't care about that. He just thought, hey, you offended me. I'm coming after you. And that's, that's kind of how he looked at life. And then thirdly, Samson led Israel for 20 years. And you say, wow, he was a judge for 20 years. Yeah, he led Israel for 20 years. But in, in chapter 15, verse 20, it says this, in the days of the Philistines. And you would think someone as strong as Samson and as blessed by God as Samson would not have to lead Israel in the days of the Philistines. In other words, under their rule. Somehow he could break out of that. He could, he could provide a better life for his people. But he didn't do that. And so we see Samson, unlike the other judges who gave their generations rest from their enemies, the previous judges, several of them had years of rest from their enemies. Um, Samson, unfortunately, never threw off the enemy's yoke. And he was just too self-absorbed to be concerned about anything else other than himself. And, and during his rule, the Philistines still dominated Israel. I mean, his great strength, his godly heritage, you, you think, boy, what might have been of this guy? But you know what? He, he didn't live up to what God desired of him. Um, if he had only lived out daily the, the, the formal commitment he made to God through this Nazaritic vow, uh, I think things would have turned out a whole lot different for Samson. But we're going to look at this text, and I'm just going to read the first nine verses for us tonight. You can just follow along in your Bible. Judges... Chapter 14, verses 1 to 9. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Verse 3, but his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives? Or among all of our people? that you must go and take a wife from an uncircumcised, from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Verse 5, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Verse 8, After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. And so he scraped it out into his hands, and he went on, eating as he went. 
And he came to his father and his mother, and he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. So tonight we're going to look at signs that point to danger, signs that point to danger. And we see Samson's desires here, these desires that gripped uh, Samson's heart, that motivated his life, should have been warning flags to him. They should have been warning flags of the problems that are just around the corner. But he wasn't paying attention. And we see here in verses 1 to 3, one of the first desires is he he desires a woman. There's nothing wrong with that. He's a man. He desires a woman. That's great. That's how it should be. And he tells his parents that he had been to uh, Timnath. And Timnath was this village that belonged to the tribe of Dan. And uh, apparently the Philistines kind of overran it, and it was inhabited by Philistines as well. And so on his trip to Timnath, Simon, or Samson saw this Philistine woman. He saw her. Um, she captured his eye. That's where it starts, right? Um, and he tells his parents to get her for him to be his wife. What's interesting, in the original language in verses 2 and 3, that word her there, get her for me, um, it's an emphatic personal pronoun. And what that means is basically, to translate it easily, is, is get her and no one else but her for me. So his mind was made up. There was no talking him out of this. He would not consider marrying any other woman, even though this broke the rule of God. Uh, This broke God's law for him to go outside of his own people and marry one of these uncircumcised uh, Philistines uh, women. And when you look at Samson's life, um, it can be summed up, all the events in his life, as we're going to look at in the next couple chapters, can be summed up with three ungodly women. (laughs) It's like he just couldn't resist himself. First, we have the, the, the woman here at Timnath. And then we're going to see in Judges 16, you have the harlot of Gath that he has a relationship with. And then in Judges chapter 16, we have his relationship with Delilah. And I, some commentators basically say, if these women had not been part of Samson's life, we would know nothing at all about Samson or the circumstances of his birth. It all surrounds these three women. Um, some even say Judges chapter 14, 15, and 16 might not even be in the Bible if these women weren't around in Samson's life because there'd, be no, there'd be nothing there. There'd be no cause for alarm. Um, so these three ungodly women limited Samson's service to the Lord. Here was someone who was called to serve the Lord And he runs across these three ungodly women, and he gives in, and it ends up shortening his service to the Lord and even his life. Um, Samson may have been strong physically, but he was weak, 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 weak spiritually. He had no spine spiritually. He had no self-control at all. And true, true strength is not measured in how much you can lift. Truth strength is measured in how well you uh, 
control your actions, how well you control your attitudes, how well you uh, can dominate your appetites. That's true strength. Uh, Proverbs, actually, if you turn over to Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs 16, verse 32, this verse says this, Proverbs 16, verse 32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Whoever is slow to anger is better, better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So if you can control yourself, uh, James says if you can control your own tongue, okay, who can do that, right? Outside of the spirit's help. But that's, that's where the true strength lies. And it would, it would do us well to remember that our problems in the spiritual realm begin in the same place, the exact same place, I would say, that Samson's problems began. They begin within our own hearts. Uh, as we seek to fulfill our own selfish, sinful desires. And so we have to be careful. We have to monitor ourselves. We have to monitor our hearts. The moment we begin to feel a little spiritually elite, a little spiritually above the fray and think, oh, I got this, I got this, I got this. No, you don't. Um, James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. If you look at those verses, it's very clear. It says, but each person is tempted when he is what? Lured and enticed by others, by Satan, by sin? No, by his own desire. By his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, the problem of sin is it's not an external problem. This is the mistake people make. And so a lot of people that, that make this wrong assessment of life, even in their Christian life, what do they do? They hold up a, in their little fort, their little fortress, and they look out the window and they say, oh, look at those sinners out there, that evil world. I'm not going to get near them. I don't want to be around them. So therefore, they have no evangelism. They have no way of reaching out to lost people because in their mind, you know, the sin comes from outside. They don't understand that the problem of sin is an internal problem. It doesn't begin with someone else. It begins with me. It begins with you in your own heart. It doesn't even begin, I would say, with the devil. Our sin problem begins with us, first and foremost, and our own twisted and deprived, uh, depraved desires that we have. Uh, and that should be a warning sign to us. That should be showing us, hey, don't, don't always just be looking out. So we're, we're quick to judge others. But sometimes we've got to take a hard look within our own heart. And when we notice that we start to long for things that God's Word says we should not long for, or that God's Word forbids... It's a sign that what we're headed down the wrong path. We're headed for trouble. I mean, Samson knew this, but he didn't heed the sign. And the desire to gratify the lust of the flesh is a sign that we are headed down the wrong road. So he desires a woman, and basically he is concerned with just meeting that desire. He doesn't care about anything else. And we also say, see here, he desired his own way. There's two statements that are very telling here of Samson. Um, he says, first of all, get her for me. That's how he talks to his dad. Get her for me. <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of rude just on the surface, right? 
and uh, she's, you know, catches my eye. Uh, she's right in my eyes. Uh, she pleases me well, is, is another translation. What's Samson's focus here? His focus is on what he thinks, what he feels, and what he wants. That's what he's focused on. He doesn't care about anything else. Notice that when he went to Timnath and saw a woman, when he saw her, what did he, he wanted her? Period. He didn't care if she was a Philistine, a pagan. He, he, had, he didn't care. She was easy on his eyes. He said, I want that one. And nothing could prevent him from having her. Not the objections of his parents. Not what anyone else thought about the issue. Not was in the, what was may, might have been in the best interest for the nation of Israel. Remember, he's a judge in Israel. Um, not even what God thought. He, he wasn't concerned. He didn't care. None of that would stop Samson from having his own way in this matter. And, and we just have to be very, very careful that sometimes in life, I've seen it even with believers, you know, they'll, they'll come to you for counsel and, and you give them the counsel and it's not the counsel they want to hear. So what do they do? They find another counselor. <laughs> they say, oh, I don't want to hear that. That's not what I want. So they move on, which they're free to do. See, it, w- it was against God's will, you have to understand, for an Israelite to marry a Philistine. We see this in several places. Deuteronomy chapter 7, in, in verses 3, it says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me. This is God speaking, to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. <laughs> So don't go down that road. It was already forbidden. They, they clearly understood that. Or in Joshua chapter 23, verse 12, it says, Be careful, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Verse 12 says, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, speaking of the pagan nations, remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain, know for certain, God's, he's not stuttering here, that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. I mean, just that description alone gives me the, a thorn in your eye, wow. Uh, Until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. So God set down boundaries. He set down the rules. He set, set down the rules of the game. And someone like Samson just says, I don't care. I really don't care. There's some people that are so self-absorbed, they don't care about anything but what they want. And so Samson only cared about what made him happy. He lived his life to please himself. That was it. And desires that stood in opposition to the will of God should have been a warning flag to Samson. He should have said, hey, wait a minute. I've taken this Nazarite vow. I, I shouldn't be down here flirting with these people. You know, uh, that's what he was called to do. He was called to live out his entire life as a Nazarite to God. 
And that generally was a voluntary vow that someone would take. But here it says the Lord kind of set him apart from his mother's womb. So from the very beginning, he was set apart by the Lord. And, and by the way, sometimes God does that. God takes someone and, and puts a call on their life, and they may not even want the call, frankly. <laughs> but you know what? They know that this is what God calls them to do. And so it's a lot better to obey um, than to, to run from the call of God. That never works out well. And so there's sacrifice involved. Sometimes you end up doing things you don't want to do. Or maybe you don't feel gifted doing. But that's okay. Because God will provide for you if he's called you to do something. And see, this is a vow that was upon him. And he was to be separated unto the Lord for his entire lifetime. His entire lifetime. Um, Think of it this way. His life was not his own to do as he pleased. You know, any of us who have been a Christian for any period of time, understand, you don't have to be Samson to understand this concept. When God calls you to do something or to, 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 to a ministry or to whatever, all of a sudden you realize, well, this isn't my, just my decision. I just have to be obedient. Um, his life was the Lord's to use as God alone saw fit. And it's the same way for every believer. It's just some of them don't realize it. And so there's the, the application here for us is, is pretty clear. If you look over in the New Testament into 1 Corinthians, we went through this when we went through 1 Corinthians, but this is very clear teaching from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he tells us pretty clearly. I mean, you can't really get around this. He's talking to um, the Corinthians here. Verse 19, chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Or do you not know, believers, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? In other words, when you become a, a follower of Christ, when you become a Christian, God implants in you the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. He resides within you. He's everywhere you go. He never leaves. He's there when you're living your holy life. He's there when you're living your sinful life. He's there with you. And so he's addressing some of their immorality that was going on in the Corinthian church. And he says, hey, don't you know that your body is a temple? What's a temple? A temple is a place where you go to worship God, right? It's a very special place, a specific place, especially back in their culture. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. God gave this gift to you implanted the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself as a believer. For you were what? Bought with a price. You were bought with a price. And Paul says, therefore glorify God in your body. Not just morally, not just sexually, in every way. In our attitudes, in our behavior, in our thoughts. All that is contained within our body. And we need to understand this. This is not a, a joke. It's not, it's not something well, we can do sometimes. No, you're not your own. You, you are not your own person when you come to Christ. Before you come to Christ, what are you described as? A slave of what? Slave of sin, right? That's what the Bible calls us. And after you come to Christ, what are we called? 
slave to Christ. I mean, either way, you're a slave. A slave doesn't just pick up and do whatever they want whenever they want. They're held captive to their master. We are his possession. Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 14 tells us that. Paul wrote that. He says, uh, in Titus 2, 14, who gave himself, speaking of Christ, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, this is what God did for us, a people for his own possession. Uh, some translations say a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird. Okay, I know some Christians are weird. You know, we are probably one, but, but that's, that's beside the point. All right, he's not talking that kind of weirdness. He's talking about a, a peculiar there. It means that you are God's and God's alone. You're his sole possession who are zealous for good works. Uh, it refers to that which is one's own, belonging to one's possessions, a people selected by God from the other nations for his own possession. And, and all that to say, basically what that means is God owns us. God owns us. We should, every day we should get up and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? You own me. How do you want me to do it? When do you want me to do it? What do you want me to do with my resources? What do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me to do with my gifts? He owns us, first of all, by the, the right of creation. He created us. If he created us alone, he owns us. But he also owns us by the right of redemption, that he purchased us with the blood of his son. And as a result, you know, the Bible indicates that our desire should be, above all else, to do his will and not our own. Not our own. And when we don't, when we say, ah, you know, I don't care if God wants me to do this or not, I'm going to do it anyway, that should be a warning sign. I mean, red, red lights should go off in your head. You know, strobe light, whatever. And it should be a clear warning that this is not a good direction you're headed in spiritually as a believer. Uh, there's a word in the New Testament that describes Samson's attitude. Um, and I think it also describes a modern-day church's attitude for the most part, too. <laughs> and that's the word lasciviousness. And lasciviousness speaks of unbridled lust. It speaks of shamelessness. You know, when you, when you look at the modern-day church today, a lot of these liberal churches, they have no shame. All they're concerned about is, is what is God going to do for me? How are my felt needs going to be met today in church? Are they going to play my song? Is he going to speak a message that encourages me? Because after all, it's all about me. It speaks of an attitude that says, you know what, I'm going to do as I please, and I don't care what anyone thinks about it, or even says about it. That's what's, that's what's ironic about, especially our modern-day culture. Um, I hear it sometimes, you know, we have cameras all over this campus, and once in a while, kids will come, and um, they'll hang out a little bit, and they're sitting there talking, and the camera's picking up everything they're saying. And sometimes I, I want to take the, the video to the police and go, here, listen to this conversation. <laughs> I mean, they're saying how they went down to Key Market and ripped off all this stuff or, key, or Rite Aid or whatever. And, ah, look what I got. I got. And it's like, are you stupid or what? I mean, there's a sign there. You're under videos and you're just blurting. They don't have any shame. 
they don't care. You know, and that's, that's really what we see in our society today. It's that, it's that me first attitude that we've seen in the book of Corinthians from the very beginning. The me first attitude. All that matters to me is getting my way. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks. And so when, if you have that kind of an attitude, if you have a, a, a lasciviousness attitude in your life, that should be a major warning sign. There's something wrong. It's a sign that danger lies ahead for the person that's afflicted by that. And so our desires tell us a lot about ourselves. Um, secondly, we see here in verse 3, Samson's disrespect I mean, just, you know, you just want to slap this guy, but he'd probably crush it with his fingers, you know, he's so strong, right? But he came up and he told his father, kind of like he's instructing his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at at Timnath. Now get her for me as my wife. You little spoiled brat. I mean, that's what you want to say. I mean, this guy needs a, a, a major time out. Which wouldn't work. That's part of the problem, right? That's what we've gotten to in our society. Kids are disrespectful. Well, you've got to sit in the chair for 10 minutes. Big deal. The Bible says that's not how you discipline your children. See, when Samson's parents hear what he wants to do, they have a charge as his parent. They felt responsible. Remember, they knew the God who, who put this call upon Samson's life. So they're, they're, they have that in the back of their head. And immediately they warn against following this course of action. They, what you would think, they do the right thing. Any caring, loving parent would do. They know that Samson had planned to do something that was not within God's will, not within God's framework, not within God's purpose for him. And they try to change his mind. And they try to encourage him even. Okay, we understand you want to get married, but hey, just marry somebody. Who's, go find yourself a good Israelite girl. I'm sure there's a lot of pretty ones out there. Go, go get one of those. And what they do is any loving, caring parent would do if they saw their child about to make a serious mistake. It's exactly what Paul instructs us to do as parents in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Bring them up in the what? In the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We're there. These children are not our children. They're a gift to us. We're we're called to discipline them and instruct them in the Lord. And, you know, if you're a parent, you know your children don't appreciate this. But you still have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to warn them that what they're about to do could be potentially harmful to their lives or to the lives of others. Um, And sometimes the Lord uses parents to hold up a a big stop sign in front of their children's lives. And um, that's that's sometimes what what we're called to do as parents. We're not not called just to be our kids' friends. You know, there's so many parents today that are so concerned with being liked by their own children, they forsake the discipline, they forsake the instruction, and hey, little Johnny, little Mary, go do whatever you want. Whatever you want. 
you know. Uh, I mean, they're asking the children what they want for dinner. They're asking the children what time they want to eat. I mean, I, I've seen it to the point where parents bring the food to the table and little Johnny won't eat, and rather than make him sit there till he eats every bite, well, that would be too disruptive. What does the mother do? Goes in the kitchen and makes Johnny a bowl of macaroni and cheese or something, something he will eat. It's just wrong. It's wrong. And so the parents have a charge to, you know, it doesn't mean you're an ogre. It doesn't mean you don't have a, a good relationship with your kid. But you know what? If you're not going to discipline and instruct your children, they're not going to respect you. They will not respect you later on in life. And we see Samson's choice here. Despite these pleas from his parents, I mean, they tried the best they could, I guess. Samson had this settled in his heart. Um, and just the way he answers his father. First, he's right in my eyes. This is right in my eyes, Dad. I, I, don't need, I don't need your advice at this point. I already saw her. I want her. Go get her now. That's his attitude. He doesn't really care what his parents think. Could care less. He doesn't care what God thinks, clearly. He doesn't care what's right and what's wrong. He has no frame of mind. It's not his concern. All he cares about is what he thinks, what he wants, and what he feels. That's it. He's so self-absorbed. All he cares about is pleasing himself. So what's he do? He disrespects his parents, wishes, he disrespects God's will, clearly. This should have been a warning sign to him. He should have stopped and said, ah, maybe I shouldn't handle this the way. Something. But nope. And the reason is, is because I think when there's rebellion in a heart, when someone's heart is rebellious, especially to the things of God, that rebellion will end up manifesting itself through disrespect for others and also disrespect of God and the things of God. It always happens that way. And it always starts right there in the heart. It starts with a rebellious heart. And so if you find yourself just doing as you please in life with no regard for your actions or how they might impact others, um, trust me, you're, you're headed down a road of trouble. When you care less about what God says in, in the Word. When you care less about how your actions could potentially hurt others. Um, when you show no regard for people's feelings at all, then you're headed for trouble. That desire to live for self, I mean, we all have some of that. It's sinful, right? I mean, that's what it is. But we have to beat it down. Um, that desire to live for self, what I think, what I want, what I feel, it's a manifestation of a rebellious heart toward God. And it should be a warning sign that needs to be heeded. And so he, he makes it very, very clear that he has this desire, that he's very disrespectful. And... Um, you know, our sin always affects those around us. It always does. We don't think of it that way, you know. But if we could all the time, it would really help us put a, put a strong conviction in our heart not to sin at all. 
Um, in my office, I have pictures of my wife. I have pictures of my grandkids all over the place. And one of the reasons is, is I never want to make the, have to make that phone call. Uh, I can't be a pastor anymore and tell my grandkids or tell my wife that somehow I blew it morally and just whatever. That's a good reminder that, you know what, what you do affects others in every degree. And so Samson's disobedience here in chapter, in verses 5 to 9, Samson's parents, unfortunately, they relent to his desire. And they give in to his demands. And that's what parents do today, unfortunately. They fac- sacrifice their own convictions to make little Sammy happy. And uh, that's never right. That's never right. We're, we're never called as Christian parents simply to parent with the attitude of, well, we just want to make our kids happy. That, that will end in disaster every time. Um, you should stand for what is right, even if the whole world walks out on you, even if the whole world turns on you. You should still stand on your conviction for what is right. What is right? What we believe within the word of God. Um, there are way too many parents today who live for nothing more than to make their children happy. Uh, what about the Lord? Are you making the, 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 the Lord happy by that? No. So as they go down to this city, Timnath, and they see this, this woman, uh, Samson apparently along the trip here somehow wanders off. And we know that because he's passing through a vineyard. Why is he in a vineyard? We'll, we'll cover this in a second. And he's attacked by a lion. <laughs> kind of a crazy story, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing. And the text says he kills the lion with his bare hands uh, because the Lord gave him the power to do it. And it seems like the first of many great feats of strength for Samson. We look at that and we think, wow, that's incredible how he did that. I, I like what it says there because it's, it's kind of a, of interesting in verse 6 it says the spirit of the Lord rushed on him and although he had nothing in his hand he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a younger goat <laughs> it's like I don't know I just maybe it's something cultural or something but I mean you know to tear up a goat a goat with your bare hands I would think would be a pretty pretty good feat uh, but they just kind of say yeah just like you tear up a younger goat he, he tore up this lion obviously a lion is a lot more ferocious than a goat but He's under the influence here, the power of the Spirit. And this event is also his real first feat of strength, but it's also a, a picture, it's a window. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a little revelation into his heart, this experience, that's filled with disobedience. And this is another warning sign that Samson should have heeded. Uh, but unfortunately, he didn't. And so look at the place of disobedience here. He's attacked in a vineyard. And remember, we went over this last week. This, this Nazaretic vow says you can't even, you're not even be around anything of the vine. Nothing. You can't drink the wine. You can't eat any of the grapes. Nothing. Why is he in a vineyard? See, outright just disobedience. He had no business being around a vineyard because of the vow that was placed upon him. This simply reveals the the disobedient nature of Samson's heart. Uh, I mean, perhaps maybe he thought he was immune to 
since he was so strong, he was immune to temptation. Um, Perhaps he thought that the prohibition against the fruit of the vine was for everyone else but him as a Nazarite. I don't know. Who knows what he thought? It's irrelevant, really. But his disobedience is revealed by his placing himself in a place where he could be tempted, at least, to break the vow that he made before the Lord. And you know what? That applies to us as well. The same is true of us. When, when, when you find someone who's continually placing themselves in situations where they can be tempted, look out. Because danger is looming very near. And they're revealing the very fact that they have a very disobedient heart. A very rebellious heart. When you're willing to put yourself in a compromised situation with no regard of the consequences, that's wrong on every front. It's almost like you're, you're daring temptation to come into your life. Well, I'm strong enough to withhold this temptation. That's okay. It's almost like they're, they're courting sin. I remember as a youth pastor, you know, young people would come into my office and tell me, you know, wow, oh, I feel so bad, you know. What the, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, finally the girl will say, I'm pregnant. And I'd say, really? And without a doubt, almost, the next sentence out of their mouth was, we don't know what happened. It's like, really? You, you don't know what happened, but you're pregnant. Okay, how stupid a statement is that? It's just ridiculous. But that's what sin does. Sin makes us dumb. <laughs> sin just makes us stupid. Checks our brain at the store. You know, at, the, at the door, you know, and it's kind of like, you know what? It, it, it completely wipes out any warnings that we have from the Word of God. Whatever, we just think, oh, somehow we can handle this. We got this. We're not really going to do anything. God reminds us through the Apostle Paul once again, over in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 7, well, verse, uh, verse 16, he says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as, God's, as, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, he says, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and then I will be a father to you, and you shall be a son and daughter to me, says the Lord Almighty. Remember, we're not our own. We can't just go freelancing through this Christian life thinking, well, our sins are forgiven, so you know what, if we fall in this area, that is, that's fine, it's all under the grace. No. We have to hold ourselves accountable. And we have to realize that, you know what, we shouldn't be putting ourselves, we shouldn't place ourselves in a, a, a place of disobedience. Be aware about that. Verse 7, it kind of gives us the proof of his disobedience. Verse 7, where it says there, 
Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Samson's disobedience manifested itself by just ignoring all the warning signs that we just talked about. And what did he do? He ended up doing his own thing. He followed his own way. He could care less what the consequences were for himself, for his parents, for Israel, for anybody else but himself. And the disobedient heart always shows itself through disobedient actions. Always. It always fleshes itself out that way. A rebellious heart always comes out in in ways that is, is disrespectful toward others and toward God. Well, a disobedient heart shows itself through disobedient actions. It does what it pleases without regard for God or even for the consequences. And so when you do as you please, even though you know that God is against it, when you do that, this is a huge red flashing warning sign that you're headed for trouble. And you'll end up there one day. I mean, we, we, we think of ourselves a lot more highly than we, we should. But James chapter 4, verse 17 says it very plainly. He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it's what? For him, it is sin. It is sin. It's sinful behavior. So you see the place of his disobedience, the proof of his disobedience, verses 8 and 9, the power of his disobedience. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. This is the lion that he killed, tore it apart, threw it alongside the road. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Now, you say, well, that's kind of weird, but it's, it's really not. Okay, if you know anything about Israel, if you know anything about the arid nature of the, the climate over there, you know, um, a lot of times carcasses would just almost mummify themselves because of the heat and the dry nature of the air. They would just, you know, just dry right up. And so with, in a matter of days, this, this lion's carcass is laying there and bees looking for moisture. Obviously, it wasn't completely dry. They probably went into the carcass, made a beehive there, and uh, started producing some honey. And here comes Samson. Hey, look at this. Wow. Got some bees here. Look at this honey. I'm a little hungry. <laughs> Crazy. See, reminded, remember, Samson had this Nazarite vow placed upon him. He's putting this whole thing in jeopardy just by being near a dead body. Uh, number 6 6 says, All the days of a Nazarite that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Very clear. See, Samson was so full of his own self and his own will, he was so filled with his just passion to do his own thing that the things of God held no power over him at all. He didn't care. Samson did not care what God wanted. He didn't care that God didn't want him near a dead body. It was irrelevant. There was honey there. He was hungry. He was going to go take it. He only cared about what he wanted when he wanted it. He was completely, you could say, under the spell of his own sinful lust. And such is the power of our own sinful condition as well. We can reach a place where we no longer care what God wants from us. We just don't care anymore. 
we can reach a place where all that matters is what we want and how we feel. And that's a very, very, very dangerous place to be, especially, especially as a Christian. We see the place of his disobedience, the proof, the power, and then the price of his disobedience. When Samson touched that dead lion, what did he do? He violated his vow to the Lord. He was not supposed to go near a dead body, let alone touch it, but he did. Um, It tells us in verse 9 of number 6, if you touch a dead body or you're around a dead body, here's what you need to do. It says, and if any man dies very suddenly beside him, beside the Nazarite, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. On the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves and two pigeons to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer one uh, of... Uh, for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and shall make atonement for him. This was no little matter because he sinned by reason of the dead body. Now, remember, this is just if somebody dies next to you. You had no, no recourse there. He just dies and you're near a dead body. This is what you had to do. He shall, and he shall consecrate his head that same day and separate himself to the Lord for the days of his separation, and bring a male lamb, a year old, for a guilt offering. But the previous period shall be void, because his separation was defiled. So sometimes when they would take this Nazarite vow, they'd say, okay, I'm going to take this vow for 30 days. They'd volunteer to do it. And say they're over visiting their neighbor, and their neighbor drops dead. Well, they're around a dead body, so they've got to do all that stuff. Turtle doves, the burnt offering, all this stuff. And then guess what? They've got to start over again. <laughs> the 30 days. Doesn't matter if you're halfway through or almost. You've got one day left. It doesn't matter. You've got to do the whole thing over. This is what God prescribed. And so what was Samson doing? He was forfeiting all that he had worked for, all that God had raised him up for. He just threw it away. He didn't care. For his own purposes though we see in verse 4 God's own purposes he has grace on Samson it says here that these events were of the Lord Um, some people get tied up here and they go does this mean that God planned Samson to sin no no some commentators even go as far as to say well Maybe the, the, uh, the, the he, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Um, some say that, well, that's, that's not, um, that's, not uh, uh, that's, that's Samson, not God. I, I, think it, I think it was, personally, I think it was God. And he was looking for an opportunity against the Philistines, and here it was. And he used Samson, even his sin. He used Samson's sin. Didn't cause him to sin doesn't mean that God caused or planned this sin for Samson to partake of. It does mean that God allowed his sin to happen. God allowed it to happen. It also means that God intended to use Samson's sin to accomplish his own will. I mean, that's just an amazing thing when you stop and think about it. God works exactly the same way in your life, in my life. Um, 
William Cowper said this. He said, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. We don't always understand why things happen in life the way they do. But in his total sovereignty, he does not need to manipulate man or mechanize him like a little puppet. We're not fatalistic in our belief of God's sovereignty. He gives an individual kind of like a, 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 some free reign there. But through our human choices, whether they're right or wrong, wise or foolish, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will out. Um, so God is intent here on breaking the dominion of the Philistines over his people. That's the end game here. It's not about Samson. Samson thought it was all about him. No, it wasn't. And he alone, God alone decides how he's going to accomplish this, how he's going to break the dominion of the Philistines. He does not make us sin, nor does he condone our sins, but he uses our sins at times to accomplish his own purposes in people, in the world, and in us. If you think throughout Scripture, God used Judah's sin with Tamar to further the line of Christ. God used David's sin with Bathsheba to bring Solomon into the world. He used the betrayal of Judas to get Christ to Calvary, to the cross. I mean, I can't explain how God moves all that together, but I can definitely rest in his sovereign hand, in his sovereign plan, and know that even our own sins will not thwart the purpose and plan of God. So for Samson, the price of his disobedience, <laughs> unfortunately, was that he was emboldened in his sin even more. When he broke his vow to God and nothing happened to him, guess what? He, he said, ah, I guess this is, must have been a lie or something. I, you know, this whole Nazarite vow thing. He, he probably thought he got away with it. That's what happens in our lives. You know, we'll find ourselves in a certain situation and we end up sinning and we're not struck by lightning or nothing really happens and we're convicted and we go back to the Lord and we confess. Well, the next time it makes it a little easier to go down that road again because nothing happened before. And so we begin to believe that, oh, you know what? It, it's, it's all covered by God's grace. You know, yeah, we're called to be separate. We're called to be holy, but he already knows we're not. So that's okay. We can just kind of let go and live for ourselves. God will understand. And so when he broke his vow to God and nothing happened, it emboldened his sinful behavior. Um, and this misunderstanding of his sins caused him to travel even further down this road to ruin. Um, I, I've seen this happen a lot of times in believers' lives. And, and all I can say is we never ever get away with sin ever you won't get away with it you may think you got everybody fooled and you may but you will not get away with it it may appear that you've gotten away with it but you won't there is a day of reckoning the bible clearly says this and you may even face consequences of your sins here in this life Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What? For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a promise you can take to the bank. You will surely face God one day. 
Romans 14, 12. Then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We all will, 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 will have to give that account. And at that accounting, you know, it will be a truthful accounting. You won't be able to hide things anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. See, disobedience always, always carries a very, very high price. And just because God doesn't strike us dead the moment we sin doesn't mean that it doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean that it doesn't affect our, our spiritual uh, well-being. It doesn't affect the spiritual well-being of those around us. When we identify a disobedient heart within, we should deal with it immediately. We need to confess it. It's a warning sign from God that troubles ahead. Well, we see his desire, his disrespect, his disobedience, last to hear his deception. There's honey in the carcass, and because of the arid things, that's where the, the bees would look for moisture. But you see the ruthlessness of his deception. Samson is so filled with pride that he never even considers any, any consequences for his actions. And this is somebody who's just caught up in their own sin. Somebody who's so self-absorbed that they don't care what they do may affect others. Um, when he ate that honey from the lion, he defiled himself before God. And not only that, but then he gave it to his parents. He gave it to his parents and he caused them to be defiled before God as well. Numbers 19, 11 to 13 tells us you shouldn't defile yourself with a dead body. He deceived his parents. So they're on this, on this road and somehow he wanders off. He comes in contact with this lion. He doesn't tell them about it. I mean, if, if I killed a lion with my bare hands, I mean, I think I would tell somebody, wouldn't you? Man, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. I was in the vineyard playing around, and this lion came, Dad, and boy, I just tore it apart. It was incredible. God was upon me. Never says a word. Why? Because he knew he was wrong. He knew he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He deceived his parents. And, and then he gives them the honey. Oh, yeah, here, here's some honey from a dead body, Dad. No, he doesn't say that. Why? Because they wouldn't take it. They would take it away from us. You're defiled. You shouldn't be near a dead body. So he deceives them. So now they're defiled too. You see, when we willfully disregard God's will for our lives, what happens? We always pull others down with us. We may not mean to do it, but that's exactly what happens. We see it in families all the time. One member gets out of, of God's will, and you know what? What happens? The rest of the family begins to move away from God with them. It just, the whole thing goes down. It's sad, but it's true. Most of us never stop to think about the impact of our decisions and what the impact of those decisions may have on the lives of others around us. People that we love, we care for. Uh, wickedness in our lives always impacts the people around us. Even though it may be hidden, it's still going to impact them. And that's, that's part of the deceptive nature of sin. You know, it blinds our eyes to the two true consequences of our actions. You know, for a moment of gratification, we're willing to sacrifice our holiness before God. And all we see 
is, is the pleasure of the sin. We never see the pain that's coming. And there's always pain associated with sin. Always. We see the reason for his deception here. He hid his sin because he didn't want his parents to know that he had, be, had defiled himself. They would have demanded that he fulfill the law of God and, and go consecrate himself all over again, do all the sacrifices and everything. But he hid his sins because he, he didn't want others to think less of him. So he was willing to, to hide all this. He knew that he wasn't right with God. He probably felt a little smug and prideful that he had this secret that no one else knew about but him. And the one thing that's, that's usually true about sinful people is the sinful people do not like to sin alone. They don't like to sin alone. Uh, remember how the world goes, the way of the world. The world tries its best to make sin and sinful products look what? Look glamorous, look appealing. They're, they're, they're trying to get us drawn in to their behavior. And in the same way, uh, sinful people love to pull other people into their sinful behavior because then it kind of feels them, makes them feel justified in doing this. Well, they're doing it too. I guess it's not that bad. They do it by tempting, by pressuring others to join them in their sin. They do it by gossiping, by turning others against the people they want to hurt. They, they do it however they can, but they want people to join their ranks. Wicked people are never content to enjoy their wickedness all alone. You know, you heard the phrase, misery loves company, right? Well, so do miserable sinners. They want company too. They want somebody to be miserable with. Um, I never forget, there was a pastor down in uh, the Coachella Valley who boy, I highly respected for a long time. And in the end, he had to, he got disqualified and from his church. And, you know, he's very conservative, very outspoken politically and everything. And uh, these pictures arose on the Internet. I mean, he had a beautiful wife. They were a good-looking couple and just mega church. I mean, just an incredible speaker, just everything going for him. And these pictures came almost out of nowhere. And you're thinking, this can't be true until you look at the pictures. And there's him and his wife in a hot tub with another man and his wife. And they're all without any clothes on tapping their wine glasses together. I mean, can you imagine the shock of that church when they found out this was their pastor? That's her. That's his, that's his wife there. She has no clothes on. It was very obvious she had no clothes on. And neither did the other guy's wife. And when he was confronted with it, you know what he said? Here's what's his excuse. Well, I think we had a little bit too much to drink. He felt totally justified in this behavior. Totally justified. And they had to yank him out of the church because he wouldn't leave voluntarily almost. It was crazy. That's what sin does. It blinds us to the point where, you know what? It loves, it loves uh, company. Just be careful. Be very, very careful. 
There's a, there's a, perf- a, a perverseness, I guess, in sin that makes the sinner feel superior to others because they have the secret life that nobody's aware of. Almost like, ah, I got all these people fooled. And what they do is they forget that, you know what, God knows all about it. The God they're crying out to and thanking for salvation and praise, they know all about the secrets of their heart, the secret whatever you do in your, your private time. God knows all about it. And we have to be careful sometimes, even as believers, who we hang around with. We have to inventory the company that we keep. Um, we're going to see this in a couple of weeks in First, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Paul tells us very clearly, he says, do not be deceived. He's telling the Corinthians here, do not be deceived. This is, this is a truthful statement. It's kind of what he's saying. Bad company, what's it do? It corrupts. It ruins good morals. It ruins good morals. See, there's, there is great, grave danger in having the wrong kind of people as close friends. And we, we don't like to hear that, but that's what the Bible says. And sometimes unbelievers can appear to be friendly, and oh, we want to reach them for the Lord. But you know what? If you could take an x-ray machine and look at their heart, a lot of times, what do they want to do? They want to entice you as the outspoken Christian to go to places and go and do things that defile the God that you claim to serve. And and even as a a professing Christian, we have to be careful. Because, you know what, Um, even a professing Christian, if if he or she is living in in a worldly way, in a sinful way, I would avoid that person, frankly. Um, Paul says so much. Why? Because, you know what? They're going to try to pull you into their worldly activities, into their sinful behavior. Why? Because misery loves company. Sinfulness loves company. It helps them to kind of quiet the cry of their own conscience when they can get someone else to participate in a sinful behavior with them. That's why Paul says, I believe, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He says this, I command you, brothers, he's talking to Christians here. He's not talking unbelievers, he's talking about Christians. He says, I command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you better pay attention, right? This is kind of a, a, a pretty strong statement he's making here. And he says that you keep away from any brother. Wow. He's saying keep away from another Christian? Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. In other words, you know what? Even amongst those who are in Christ, we want to be careful with the company we keep. I know when I took Mason down to the Master's uh, University and we went on a tour and the guy was... He had been a, I think he was a, a sophomore there or whatever. He took us on this tour in this little golf cart and he's taking us around and, and he, he told Mason, he said, I just want you to know this is a Christian school. You know, you had to fill out a testimony. You had to profess Christ to get in here just like everybody else. But I just want you to know there are individuals at this school who are not Christian. And, and, it is, and, and 
I make no apology for this, but it's their intent to draw you into their sinful behavior. And you'll know who they are within the first couple weeks. And usually when we find out, we deal with it. And, and, but don't think just because you're going to a Christian university that you're in heaven. Because <laughs> you're not. And there are people here who can influence you for wrong sinful behavior if you allow them to, if you go down that path. He said, just be careful who your friends are. This is at a Christian school. So we have to be diligent about this. I mean, imagine for a moment how Samson's life would have been different if he had recognized these warning signs, if he would have really turned his life over to the Lord, to God, and rather than himself. Imagine what God could, have, could do with us if we simply recognize the warning signs that present themselves to ourselves. Maybe you see some warning signs in your own life today. I pray that <laughs> you look down that road and you see ruin coming. You know what? You want to make sure that you get your life back in, on the right path. Don't continue down that path. If, if, you, if you see evil desires, if you see open disrespect for authority or for God or disobedience to the will of God or, or any of those things, deception in your own life, now, now, today is the time to change. Today is the time to cry out to God and ask him to forgive you and to repent and change that behavior. Because it's, it's not worth uh, the catastrophe that is coming if you don't do that. I want to close with a verse and then we'll, we'll pray. Galatians 5 says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Just because he didn't name yours doesn't mean he says things like these, anything like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Father, we ask that you bless these words to our heart tonight. Lord, we pray that we'd learn much from Samson. Father, if, you know, none of us are perfect, and there's always opportunities for us to go down one of these paths and kind of kick the warning, side, the warning sign aside and continue. But Lord, it's, we're putting ourselves and our spiritual health in grave danger if we do that. And, and Father, we, we really need to repent of that attitude and cry out to you. Lord, help me get my heart right here. Help me to keep my perspective. Help me to understand that I'm not my own. I can't just do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. But Lord, I am a slave of Christ. And I'm called to do His will. And He has placed a call on my life to live a life that's holy and set apart for, for Him and Him alone. 
Father, help, help us not to compromise in area of relationships and friendships, even within the church, that we would be careful, that we would understand that, Lord, bad company corrupts good morals. It always does. It always will. And the moment we think we're strong enough to deal with it, that's the beginning of our fall. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take these things very seriously. And, Lord, keep things in perspective. This doesn't mean we run home and lock ourselves in our home. There is a sinful world out there that's dying and on its way to hell, and they need to hear the gospel message. And you have called us, you have equipped us to go out and to share the word of God with those who've yet to believe. And, Lord, I pray that we would do that in the strength of the Lord. And so, Father, we pray tonight that you would just bless us as we go our way and pray that you would just help us to apply these teachings to our heart and our life. And um, we pray for our country and pray for our president and vice president and pray that, God, you would be gracious to them somehow, Lord, that somehow you would lift the blinders off their eyes. Father, that if you can transform a heart, Lord, they definitely need their hearts transformed. They need to be um, brought into that right relationship with you. And Father, you can do it. You can provide someone around them who has the truth of the gospel to speak that into their heart. And you can do that convicting work. And Lord, we just pray for our country that you would uh, protect us and, and keep us solid in our faith as we stand for you and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.